into the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. This is episode five of the revamped Matt Bernier Show for Monday, March the 9th, 2020. You can find this show in a number of different places, whether it's YouTube over on the In The Money page, their, their YouTube channel, but you can also just search it in the top bar, Matt Bernier Show. You can find the podcast audio-only version over on InTheMoneyPodcast.com or Apple Podcasts or anywhere else that you typically get your podcasts. Um, however you take this thing in, thank you for doing so. Questions, comments, concerns are always welcome. At Bernier underscore Matt on Twitter or beneath the video player on the YouTube channel. I got in late from LA last night. I didn't get home till a little after one. Had a shower from the airplane and all that other nonsense. Finally get to sleep and I'm saying, you know what? I know what the podcast is going to be on Monday. Going to go over the three-year-old boys, the three-year-old girls. We'll do a little bit of Q&A. It'll be pretty straightforward because we had some big racing over the weekend. So I sleep in here this morning. When I wake up, all hell's broken loose. Because there's been a federal uh, investigation and, and there are criminal charges lobbied against a number of folks involved in horse racing, including two big names, Jason Service and Jorge Navarro. I'll touch on it briefly. I'm not going to get into throwing accusations. All I'll say is you can go ahead and read the, I think it's, I don't even know how many pages it is, 40 pages, whatever the case may be. There's some pretty damning stuff in there. Um I mentioned last week, I mean, literally, it was a week ago, talking about maximum security winning the Saudi Cup and how I felt like he was the most polarizing horse we've seen in quite some time. Wherever you fell on the maximum security bandwagon, whether you liked the horse, you didn't like the horse, and I'm hopeful some folks can read between the lines when I go, whatever your stance is on the situation, I, it's mind-blowing that a week later, here we are, saying there are some pretty serious allegations out there against Jason Service. The only thing that I'm going to really say, my, my piece, I put out a tweet earlier saying if this isn't the wake-up call that horse racing needs and, and if they don't get their act together as a whole, and I say they, I mean, we're all part of it, if the powers that be don't, don't act accordingly, I mean, there's no hope. You get these sort of things going on. What, like, what are we doing? What are we doing? Figure it out. And I feel like this is kind of like the adult talking to the, the young teenagers or the, you know, the 12-year-olds saying, you know, we're, we'll, let you, we'll let you stay home for while we run to the store. Just don't screw anything up. Well, I, I gave you, you can sort of handle yourself until you prove that you can't. And then we'll step back in and we'll take away privileges in X, Y, and Z. Well, by the way, no pun intended with the X, Y, and Z thing. The... I feel like that's exactly what happened here, where the feds have to step in and say, you guys can't take care of your own garbage. So we have no choice but to slap everybody's wrist. It just, I, I it blows my mind that we've gotten, we've got to this point where jurisdictions say what you will. Look, I, I've long maintained there should be a central governing body. But apparently that's that's just such a foreign concept that nobody wants to nobody wants to do that. It's an outrageous idea. Every other major sport has one, by the way, except boxing. No coincidence that boxing is in the tank. We can't have a central governing body. So no one wants to really drop the hammer on anyone that they think may be doing some things or we've seen a number of things. You can go through different states on websites and find names listed 
for violations and things like that, but they keep coming back and they keep coming back. So finally, the feds have to step in because because nobody else will will clean this thing up. It's, It's embarrassing. It's ridiculous. Now, in a podcast many, many moons ago, in the old version, the only thing I said about Jason's service was after after his string, and I want to say it was probably right around, maybe in the midst of Belmont, maybe maybe around when Forenze Fire ran over the summer at Belmont in July-ish or so. And he he was upset that people were questioning him and he was saying, you know, I'm having the, the year of my life and, and this, that, and the other. The only thing I said was, I'm not accusing you of doing anything nefarious. But you have to, you, you can't be so, so bold and brazen to say, how could you possibly think something is weird? When you've been a 14 or 15% trainer your entire career, which is, by the way, really respectable. That's a, that's a fair and fine number. Nobody's going to sit there and say a guy can't train anything. And we're also not going to sit there and say, okay, what are we doing here? And then all of a sudden you go to 40%. When you're winning two out of every five, that, that's not normal. Anybody that's up in that 35, 40% range, you don't have any right to sit there and say you shouldn't be questioning what's going on. That, that is such an outrageous strike rate for a game like this. The same can be said for Jorge Navarro. When your numbers are so high, you can't, how can you sit there and and question why people are questioning you and saying, why, how is this possible? When some of the other big trainers and the the more well-known names, they're in the 18% range. They're at 20. Maybe some are in the 23, 24 range. You're at 42? I'm just supposed to sit there and think that this is just like, well, you, you know more than all these folks do? That's insane. Some of the numbers that we see from certain trainers first off the claim, 44%. Are you kidding me? You're telling me that out of all the horses you claim, essentially one out of every two is going to come back and win their next race? Yeah, I know a lot of it goes into placing and you need to put the horses where they belong, uh, this, that, and the other. Come on now. Are we that dumb? No, we're not. It just took the real high power the federal government to step in and start pushing some things through so i have no idea where this thing is going to end up obviously it doesn't look good but to me this is i've I've seen a lot of people on social media already it's a little after one o'clock right now on the east coast i've seen a lot of people say this is a sad day this is a sad day bs this is a sad day this is a good day and look if these folks are innocent I hope they get everything that is is sort of warranted as far as the court of law here in the United States is concerned. You have every opportunity to prove your innocence. Or you're in, I, sh- I shouldn't say prove your innocence. You are innocent until proven guilty. Having said that, you read any of those documents, kind of hard to sit here right now if I'm handicapping the situation and say nothing is going to come of this. But you never know. Who knows how, what shakes down and, and lawyers and, and all that sort of stuff. But as far as this being a sad day, no. To me, I'm hopeful this is the smack in the face that racing needs to get its act together and say, okay, like, do we want to be around 10 years from now? Because at this rate, I mean, this is going sideways. I, I, I just, you know, going back to the idea of you can hit at a certain percentage for so long and then you exponentially increase your strike rate. 
I mean, the the most obvious example in sports over the past however many years, call it 25 now, 20. I mean, when Brady Anderson went from, I'm going to just to make sure I have my numbers exactly correct. He went from like an eight home run a season, maybe 10 to 50 that one year. One of these things isn't like the other. What happened? And then all of a sudden went right back down. You, You can't, people cannot sit there and question why people are questioning when there are such outrageous changes in, okay, so I was a little bit shortchanging him as far as his 8 and 10 home runs. He was like a 12, he had a 21 home run season in 92. 95, he hit 16. In 96, he hit 50. And then he went to 18, 18, like, and, and that sort of thing, you, you don't see the parallel where people are going to look at that and go, hmm, that seems odd. All of a sudden, what what changed? And then how come it didn't sustain? What happened? I'm just saying. These this is not rocket science. Just I'm I'm hopeful that something good comes from this. I think this is a positive step because this is a sport that needs some pretty serious cleanup. And giving credit where credit is due. Some of these jurisdictions, Southern California, they are continuing on that path of let's get this thing cleaned up. Let's take care of our own house so we don't have to deal with outside forces coming in and saying you can't handle your own business. I'm hopeful that this is a trend that it needed to happen at some point. It needed to happen because this was not a sustainable situation. You're going to get other people start looking around saying what's going on here. I'm I'm hopeful this is a good day. You know, again. If these folks that are listed, and I don't know three quarters of the names on that list, because I believe there's some standard bread people involved too. There's vets in there. There's a number of different people listed in this thing. I'm hopeful. Look, if, if they're innocent, I hope they are able to, you know, kind of clear their name and get everything taken care of. Based on the things that are listed in the documents, it seems rather unlikely, but you never know. Crazier things have happened. Um, and I just, overall... This this is the sort of thing I think that is necessary to help all of us in the business take that next step forward to a better, cleaner, safer game all around. So that's my piece on this whole thing that dropped in everyone's lap on Monday morning, March the 9th. Now, for what most of you are interested in, let's shift the attention to actual horse racing. Let's talk about this past weekend and the three-year-old boys and the ramifications, potentially, on the Kentucky Derby. Let's get to some racing from this past weekend. We'll talk about the three-year-old males first. Uh, while I was flying back last night, just for ha-has, I threw out two separate polls. I'll only speak about the boys' one at the moment. Uh, the way that it was worded, knowing that there's still an eternity between now and the first Saturday in May, if you had to make a call, the Kentucky Derby winner is based in either California or elsewhere. And as of now, there's there's still six hours left in the poll, but we've got enough. 985 voters, uh, 56.9% say California, 43.1% say elsewhere. So certainly leaning towards Southern California. And no surprise, we'll talk about the San Felipe first, kicking things off. Authentic goes out, struts his stuff really impressively in that race to San Felipe. I thought he was much more professional this time around. He's a horse that it, it appears is continuing to mature. Uh, he was out there seemingly loving life as far as his physical appearance was concerned. Uh, ears are pricked throughout the run, ran fast basically every step of the way. 
I thought it was a really solid effort and a horse that I was dubious about going into it because I said, you're going to need to be a heck of a lot more professional if you're going to prevail against a group like that on Saturday. He did just that for Baffert, uh, 98 buyer, 117 raw time form US rating. So the numbers seem to check out pretty well. Galloped out very impressively. Uh, I'm not going to fault anyone that says he's the horse to beat as far as the three-year-olds are concerned for the Kentucky Derby. Um, it's nice when you're Baffert and you have that horse to go along with Nadal, to go along with uh, Charlatan, to go along with uh, Eight Rings, to go along with a horse that we saw in this race, who I'll touch on more momentarily. As far as the other runners in the race are concerned, I was really taken by Honor AP. That was a big effort from this horse. First start off of a number of of months layoff he's been gone for quite some time and this was his first time really taking on the cream of the crop and coming off such a lengthy layoff authentic had the recency bias the not recency bias i should say the recency advantage bias all sorts of craziness on, on social media the recency advantage over a horse like honor ap he also had the tactical advantage where he was going to be the one setting the fractions was able to get the jump honor ap was never going to beat authentic on saturday to me, that doesn't mean that months from now, maybe eight weeks from now even, the, the tables couldn't be turned. Because if there is other speed in the race for Authentic to have to deal with, Honor AP has at least shown the ability to come and, and start passing some horses. So I love the way that the horse looks on the racetrack. He looks like a Hulk out there. Mike Smith seemed to be very, very pleased with him. And John Sheriffs, if we know anything about Sheriffs, he does very well with a target in mind. They may not be totally cranked up, ready to go first out of the box, but if he knows that you've got some ability there, he'll take time, he'll buy his time, plot the plan accordingly, and have him ready to peak whenever that big event is. Obviously, for this case, it would be the Kentucky Derby. Storm the Court in Thousand Words. Uh, Storm the Court, I just, when you look at it from a number standpoint, he hasn't taken a tremendous step forward from two to three. He still hasn't shown that he can pass horses. That's a major concern because in these longer distance races, I don't think he has the speed to get to the front. Now, I, I mean, look, if you get into a race, let's say, where the, the fractions are very, very pedestrian and there's no speed whatsoever, sure, he could get out there, cut out some reasonable ones, and maybe he could get brave. But I just, at this point right now, he seems like he's a notch below the rest of the three-year-olds or the better three-year-olds, I should say. And as far as Thousand Words is concerned, I, you know, we heard Baffert a number of times, and I've seen a number of people bring it up. Uh, he does just enough to get the job done. Is it possible he's just not that good? You know, his speed figures as a two-year-old were, were solid. Low 90s, I believe he earned a 92 in that run on Los Alamitos. Um, I mean, I thought his return effort was fine. You know, he got the job done, but I, I made it clear. I think Royal Act was the better horse that day, given how wide he was, compared to Thousand Words trip. And I, he never looked like he was a threat here in a spot like this. I, Even if you want to say this was a bit of a clunker and he's better than this, I don't know how good he actually is. I'd be curious what you all have to think. Again, on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt or beneath the video player on the YouTube channel. Let's go to Tampa Bay. Oldsmar for the Tampa Bay Derby. You want to talk about a smashing performance from King Guillermo. Uh, this was a horse, Mike Joyce made it uh, abundantly clear. This was a horse that was very, very talented as a two-year-old. He did some good things on grass. It's not like he was a total bum. I just never in a million years would have thought you'd get a race like this from him off of a, uh, a four-month layoff. He went out there. He pressed the pace. The pace wasn't that fast. It held up for the most part. But boy, he drew off really, really well down the lane. The numbers are exceptional. A 99 buyer speed figure and a 119 raw time form US rating. And visually, 
those numbers seem to check out. When you go in through and you watch that tape, he's up there pressing. He's about three wide throughout. He goes on when his rider asks him. He draws off for fun. Uh, he, I believe he had the second fastest come home time only behind Solo Volante. And I mean, we are splitting hairs very, very close as far as the come home time was concerned. So, I mean, this horse ran his eyeballs out and his gallop out was massive. Now, the interesting thing for King Guillermo is it sounds like they're going to train him up to the Kentucky Derby. So if that's the case, let me pull up King Guillermo's PPs because you're, you would, in theory, be talking about a horse running the first Saturday in May going a mile and a quarter for the first time, which, again, I mean, look, a mile and a quarter for all these horses, it'll effectively be the first time. The Louisiana Derby, to my surprise, I found out this week, it's been moved to a mile and three sixteenths. I just always knew it as a mile and an eighth. King Guillermo would be running in that race, what, his second start in six months? I mean, that would be a, a, a very, it would be a new twist. I'm sorry, November. Late November was his most recent run. So he came back, called this two and a half to three months, and then he, we've got two more months until the first Saturday in May. I mean, this would be a, a new twist on the very, very light campaign leading into the Kentucky Derby. But if you just want to use that most recent run, Tampa Bay Derby as a sort of the barometer, and that's what you want to go by, look, the horse looked really, really strong. By the way, blew up the tote board, paid $100. So King Guillermo, I have no knocks about that effort from him. I also like the effort from Sola Volante, given that the pace did hold up for the most part. You take a look at uh, three of the top four finishers. They were all, I believe, in the top three or four as far as the pace calls were concerned and even into the far turn. Conversely, Sola Volante uh, beneath Florent Giroux uh, bided time at the back of the pack. I thought it was a pretty slick ride from Flo. Ended up staying down on the inside and finished really, really nicely. You would imagine he'll get more pace to run at the first Saturday in May. You would also imagine that this is a horse that if he continues on this trend, he's going the right direction as far as speed figures are concerned. So a good effort from Sola Volante. And if you want to throw another horse in there, I don't know about him as far as a derby prospect is concerned. But I did think Chancet, who was the second choice in this race behind Sola Volante, I think he ran better than what the final margin of the final results would suggest. He was middle of the pack, but he was wide every step of the way. And and when Paco really started to make a move on him rounding the far turn, he was six, seven path turning for home. Um, he, he flattened out a little bit at the end of the race. I don't want to hold that against him. I think it was a better than looks effort on paper. And again, I don't believe in him necessarily as a derby prospect, but I would really like to see him in sort of the one-turn mile races, the seven-eighths races. Uh, maybe he becomes a Pat Day mile prospect. Maybe he becomes a Woody Stevens prospect uh, because I do think there's a little bit of ability there. I'm not a huge fan of the horse, but I thought he ran pretty well here in the Tampa Bay Derby. As far as Gotham is concerned, of the three races, I think it's going to have the the least or the fewest sort of ramifications as far as the Kentucky Derby is concerned. Mischievous Alex continues on. He's a very talented runner. 90 buyer speed figure, 113 raw time form US rating. It was in kind of an oddly run race where you had seemingly the entire pack bunched together going down the backside with a couple of stragglers behind. And when the real running started, you began to see some horses kind of fade off. Uh, both Mischievous Alex as well as Untitled, they stayed on. Visually, it wasn't the most impressive effort you've ever seen from any of these horses. I think everyone's final quarter was at least 26 seconds or greater. So that's not, you know, um, not great, obviously. Uh, you have heard some folks bring up, though, that there was a headwind down the backside at Aqueduct on Saturday. So that probably took some of the starch out of these runners. Um, 
if I'm looking at anyone else coming out of the race, yes, attachment rate ran fine, uh, as did Untitled, as did a few other horses. Um, the one that maybe is a little under the radar that maybe you want to consider, uh, or maybe you think this is a, a silly one. I've already thrown him into my horse watch. Um, I thought Flapjack ran deceptively well. This is a horse that, this is his first starts in September. You want to talk about a layoff. This horse had every right to need a race. Um, down the backside, initially he's up there sort of in the midst of the first grouping of horses pushing the pace then he kind of gets shuffled back mid-pack a little bit begins to warm up again rounding the far turn then he looms up between horses about three four path and for a moment it looks like he's got a big big chance at 50 to one and then when they sort of hit the eighth pole that's when he started to flatten out a little bit and he ended up finishing mid-pack for me the things that he showed at least to the point where he got tired that at least makes me think that the horse has some ability and perhaps there is going to be a race for him second start out so if they want to try to stretch him out in distance or they want to keep him at these more shorter sort of one turn kind of configurations uh, maybe flapjack because he's still going to be a giant price wherever he shows up in his next race um in theory i mean if he shows up in another sort of stakes event he's going to be a price no matter what so I thought he actually ran quite well, and he's one that I at least am going to keep an eye on. Uh, it's up to you if you believe the same as I do or not, but I thought it was a pretty solid effort from him. He's the only one that I was mildly intrigued with exiting the Gotham. Otherwise, as I said, I don't really know that th that race is going to have a ton as far as implications are concerned on the Kentucky Derby, and, and for that matter, even maybe the Wood Memorial. I'm sure the connections of Mischievous Alex will at least consider it, but I don't know how many of those horses are necessarily going to figure as far as the final round of uh, Derby pro uh, Derby uh, prep races, excuse me, are concerned. Uh, and then as far as my Derby top five is uh, concerned, I, I didn't change much. The only thing I did do just simply because, you know, I've spoken about Honor AP, and I think he is a more likely win candidate then Farmington Road, the horse that I mentioned last week that I am intrigued with, one of Pletcher's horses. Uh, so I pulled Farmington Road out. Full disclosure, I already have my future bet in on him. I also have my future bet on my top pick, Governor Morris. Uh, but Honor AP slides into that sort of fifth slot at this point. So one to five, Governor Morris, Tis the Law, Charlatan, Nadal, Honor AP. So that'll button that up as far as the Derby prospects are concerned for this week. Um, let me know your thoughts on any of these prep races or any three-year-olds elsewhere that maybe I've missed uh, that you think you're interesting or whatever the case may be. Again, Bernie or underscore Matt on Twitter or beneath the YouTube channel. Three-year-old Phillies. Th this division to me is starting to take some, some real shape. We're getting some fresh faces that are coming on to the scene with giant fanfare and, and much sort of publicity. We've also got some other horses on the comeback trail, making their first starts back, getting ready, in theory, for a run at the Kentucky Oaks the first Friday in May. Uh, let's talk about, first things first, the poll that I put out. And I thought about it a little bit more as I was flying. I put out the Derby poll, you know, do you believe California or elsewhere? But we also had some big performances from the girls out west this weekend. So I said, you know what, just in the same vein, for kicks and giggles, since Dona Veloce won impressively earlier and we're... Seeing some bigger efforts from the girls recently, I asked the same question. Kentucky Oaks winner currently, knowing that we're eight weeks out, is based in either California or elsewhere. This poll, considerably tighter, not nearly the sample size of the boys. The boys had about 1,000. This one has about 300 votes. Uh, 51-49, California over elsewhere. So 
That means that some folks are not sold that the likes of Dona Veloce and Venetian Harbor and Gamine or Gamine, however you like to actually pronounce that, are the ones that are going to kind of carry the torch. And maybe you can look elsewhere, whether it's New York, Florida, Arkansas, you name it. Uh, let's first discuss Dona Veloce and the Santa Isabel on Sunday afternoon. I don't have a time form US rating just yet. I do have an 88 buyer speed figure, though. This for me was the best race that she's ever run. Better than the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies because, to me, she overcame a lot of adversity in a spot like this. I wouldn't have learned anything if she broke alertly, went right to the top, said, come and catch me, and she wins by 15. That, that doesn't do anything for me. I like that she bobbles a little bit out of the gate. She's a little bit keen, a little headstrong early on and behind runners. I like that Flavian got her to relax a bit down the backside. She certainly wasn't the most comfortable. She wasn't one of those horses that just completely shut off. She was definitely a little bit on edge, but it was... I feel like it was controllable sort of edge. I don't feel like at any point she was just coming out of her skin down the backside. She finally kind of relaxed a bit when he was able to anger out the three path. I thought it was just a really impressive effort from her. She took over from those top two. Granted, she she did what she was supposed to do, but I learned more about her this way than if we see horses just go out there and waltz on the front end, which is what we saw from Gamine on Saturday afternoon. We'll talk about her in a moment. Uh, again, the 88 buyer... Not really an improvement from what we had seen from the two-year-old figures, but I'm not someone that immediately is going to just sort of, you know, sound the alarm when we don't see an improvement from start, you know, from the last start as a two-year-old to the first start as a three-year-old. Again, the, the ultimate goal for these connections, while it's nice to win graded stakes races, especially for a horse like this, the goal is not the Santa Isabel. I hate to break it to you. The goal is the Kentucky Oaks. So, okay. She was comparable, let's say, at 85% on Sunday afternoon to where she was at 100% as a two-year-old. That, to me, is an improvement. And I would expect to see a forward move, whether it's the Santa Anita Oaks or they choose to go somewhere else with her leading into Kentucky. But I thought this was a really nice effort from this filly, and I'm glad that we got to see her overcome a little bit of adversity, albeit against inferior company, and still be able to go on and win as impressively as she did. Now, as far as Gamine is concerned, for Baffert, on Saturday... Six and a half furlongs. I hadn't even heard about this filly until earlier in the week when I was out there at TVG. Apparently, she's been the talk of the town in, in California. I don't I don't have my ear down. I don't listen to, I don't have any sort of intel as far as, oh, this horse is sitting in the barn, is a monster waiting on this thing. As they come out in the PPs and I start to see them out on the track, that's when I start to pay attention to them. I don't know anybody, I don't know anything out back there so whenever i hear about a horse that apparently is a superstar in the making i go i all right let's let's see i don't think you'll learn a heck of a lot from gamine on saturday yes she earned nice figures 87 buyer speed figure 110 time form us rating she went out there and won by 100 she looked a little bit green out there but she was never asked to run a step it was six and a half furlongs against inferior maidens compared to what she'll be facing in her next step and if you're going to have her ready for the Kentucky Oaks, you're going to need to run her in the Santa Anita Oaks or another one of those final prep races. It's a lot to throw at a horse in a short amount of time. Is she a superstar? She might be. I have no idea. You don't either, though. We might think that she could be something, but I have no idea. And if I had to just head to head, let's just talk about these two girls. And you know what? Throw Venetian Harbor into the mix. If I had to look at those three, I'm me personally. You may agree or disagree, and I'd be curious to know your thoughts. I'm going to take the horses that I know. Two turns isn't a problem. They have seasoning against good horses. They don't have to have the lead. They can adapt. 
I'm going to take Venetian Harbor and or Dona Veloce before I'm going to take Gamine. Now, maybe she'll make me look stupid when we go into a race like the San Anita Oaks and she wins by a pole. Then I'll sit back here and say, you know what? Let's re let's reassess the stance because she might be a superstar. If Baffert's calling her a superstar in the making, you know, again, Baffert's been around a good horse or two in his life. Maybe I should take it a little bit more. I don't want to say I'm not taking her seriously. I just, you know, I, I want to see. When I see a horse like Charlatan debut and earn a 105, that's a horse that I look at and go, holy smokes, that's a superstar. I look at Gamine, I go, yeah, it was good. For a horse that people are talking about, she could be the second coming. Mm. I, I, I want to see a little bit more against better horses. Not to say she's not good. Not to say she's not talented. But I'll try to beat her next time out. And maybe I'll look like an idiot. Wouldn't be the first time. As far as other prep races are concerned for the Kentucky Oaks, We'll speak of two of them. We'll start with the Busher. Busher had a giant upset with Water White. Um, defeats Kansas Kiss in deep stretch. Uh, your heavy, heavy favorite, Lake Avenue, off the board at four to five or three to five, somewhere in that ballpark. Um, I mentioned the headwind down the backside at Aqueduct. The fractions for the Busher were color coded red according to Timeform US. The numbers that Water White earned a 76 buyer and a 99 raw Timeform US rating, uh, none of those are going to really get people sort of shaken in their boots, especially given that it's a one turn race as opposed to a two turn race. Having said that, I don't know that I'm prepared to just give up on Lake Avenue just yet. She was terrible. I mean, I'm not going to, you can't sugarcoat that. But combining her first start off the layoff with the fractions that she went out there and set, if you think she needed a race before you're going to see her best, I would assume you're going to get a forward move. Was it a good effort? No, not by any stretch. But I think we give up on horses too quickly. Sometimes. Some of us don't give up on horses quick enough. I've been guilty of both. But in a spot like this, first start as a three-year-old, first start off of a bit of a layoff, I still maintain she'll be better going longer, in my opinion. I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt. If she comes back and she bombs in her next start, then yeah, okay, we got I got to start reconsidering my position on her. But as far as the other girls are concerned, I think they're okay. I don't know about added ground for either of them. I don't know about better horses. I feel like if the real Lake Avenue showed up, neither of those girls are really in it. So do with that race what you will. The Honeybee at Oak Lawn is the race that I am most intrigued with coming out of it. And the horse that I'm most intrigued with is She Dares the Devil for Brad Cox. Now, She Dares the Devil is by Daredevil. Uh, she came out of a race, her first start as a three-year-old, where she made the, the move into the teeth of the pace. There was a, a runaway leader by about 10 lengths. And Joe Talamo pushed on She Dares the Devil into the far turn. She goes and collars that horse, but gets run down by a horse coming from just off of it. Beats her by a half length, a Judd Mountain horse. I thought that was a really nice race, and I thought it set her up well for this honeybee. And in fact, you're watching this, this tape. She's a little keen early on. She finally comes to hand. But it took a really long time for her to kind of settle down. Even down the backside, Talamo had two fistfuls of dynamite, and he's just got a stranglehold on her, trying to get her to relax a little bit. Finally, she does as they're entering the far turn. Now she's pocketed up and in a really nice position. We always talk about it, though. It's the perfect trip until it's not. And for the longest time, it didn't look like Talamo was going to be able to find a seam. Late in the stretch, he does. She shoots through. Wins only by about a half length. I'm going to say conservatively, she was three lengths the best. She galloped out like a machine. I'm really taken by that effort and by this filly. I think she's sneaky good. And if you're looking, and the numbers wouldn't necessarily 
back that up. 80 buyer speed figure, 105 time form US rating. Keep in mind, usually about a 20 point differential in those two. So perhaps one's a little low compared to the other or vice versa. That's again up to you as the handicapper to determine. If we're looking at just the buyers, she's definitely light compared to the two girls or the three girls out on the West Coast that are the big names. Uh, I'm just, I think she's actually better than what those numbers would suggest. And if she had gotten clear, I think she runs faster. Therefore, those figures move up. That's just my opinion. Again, curious your thoughts. And while we're at it, I figured if I'm going to roll out a top five for the boys, might as well throw out a little bit of an early top five for the girls. Uh, and I'll do it in reverse chronological order. Oddly enough, five, four, and three are the three California girls. Gamine, number five. Venetian Harbor, number four. Dona Veloce, number three. I'm sure many of you listening to this are saying, what the hell are you talking about? How do you not have any of them in the top two, let alone number one? Because I think Brad Cox has two nice horses. And I could have very easily put Finite in here somewhere. Uh, but if I'm only doing a top five, and, and like I said last week when I first did the Derby top five, I'm sure this will expand over the next few weeks where may maybe I'll go out to a top 10 or whatever the case may be. But for a top five, Finite would probably be six. In second, I'm going to put British Idiom, the champion, because I, I thought she ran fine at the fairgrounds. If it was a means to an end to get her to the ultimate goal, I think this is a nice progression. Again, the connections, we're not, we're not trying to win the Rachel Alexandra or the Silver Bullet Day, whatever race that was. We're trying to win the Kentucky Oaks. We've already got a champion. We have all of this. We know that she can travel. We know she can do all these different things. We don't need to win the early season race. We need to have her ready to peak in May. I still think British Idiom is a live chance. Uh, and she dares the devil. I'm going to put her number one. I really do like this filly. I think she's interesting. I think she's going to be a little bit under the radar for a number of people. She doesn't have the sexy figures right now that any of the boys or any of the girls do. Uh, but I think there is potential. I loved the gallop out. I trust Cox as far as getting a horse ready for whatever big event we're pointing toward. Um, I'm going to put her number one. That probably seems a bit ambitious. And realistically, she should probably be, if you're looking at it from a strictly talking the way, let me think of a good way of putting this, likelihood of a winner in the Kentucky Oaks, she's probably not as likely as Dona Veloce or British Idiom or Venetian Harbor or Gamine or even Finite or some of those other girls. But for me, she is the horse that I am most interested in as far as all of them are concerned, both price-wise and ability-wise. She dares the devil's number one for me as far as my initial, let's say, Oaks top five is concerned. But I'll keep going forward. And again, I'd be curious to know what you guys all have to think, whether it's horses that I've missed, horses that you're high on, you agree with my top five, you, you hate them, whatever it may be, at Bernie or underscore on Twitter. Uh, at Bernie or underscore Matt. You got to put the first name in there. At Bernie or underscore Matt on Twitter or beneath the video player here on YouTube. Now, let's button this thing up. We will go over the pick history, updated, because we actually have a little bit of a sample here, uh, as well as a little bit of Q&A, and we'll wrap things up for this week. Let's wrap up episode five, looking at the pick history thus far, as well as two questions from the listeners and viewers that we'll touch on. Let's begin with the pick history, though. Out in L.A. last week, had an opportunity to really dive into some cards, put out some picks. And just for clarification purposes, the only picks that I'm using for this sort of exercise are ones that I have tweeted out. So and this works for me and against me. Because there were a couple of times on air where I, I threw out, uh, you know, and take a look at, oh, you know, maybe this is a horse to consider. You have to keep in mind, when we have 
as much time to fill for some of those races as we do, you start looking through and you say, I'm not betting the race, but if I were trying to beat such and such favorite, maybe it's a horse like this. Or even if there is a horse that you are intrigued with, I'm going to consider it if I don't tweet the horse out and say, these are the, this is the little pick sheet, then I'm not going to include them in this. So, you know, that hurts me a little bit on two or three different occasions, but at the same time, I'm the one making up the rules and based on those rules, that's what I'm going to stick to. So the numbers thus far, not great, but it's early enough and the sample isn't giant enough that I'm really not terribly concerned um, to give you just sort of a barometer. At this point right now, just strictly from a win standpoint, so $2 win wagers, the strike rate's only 13%. In the past, and if anyone's curious, I, I don't know if there's a good way for me to do this, I can show you I have full histories from 2017 and 2018 when I was over at the racing forum. I have the data still. I have the files. I don't know if there's a good way to get them up there. Maybe it's a screenshot or something of that nature. I expect this number when it's all said and done to be somewhere between 20 and 25%. Um, I think it's a fair number. I know a lot of people say, oh, 35%. Well, look, if you're playing the chalk all the time, yeah, probably you should be a little bit closer to 30, 35. But I, I make no bones about it. I like to take a shot every once in a while on some horses that maybe aren't the most likely winners, but I think have some upside and, and some reason to go with them. 13%, I expect that number to come up. As far as the ROI is concerned, $1.12. Not great. Down 88 cents for every two that you bet. But the idea so far is, again, it's early enough, all told the numbers, if you have wagered $48 on these, you've had $27 returned to you. So you're down $21 at this point. Um, again, being as early as it is with the percentage being as low as it is, expect those to come up. Uh, Nightwatch helped things as far as the wins were concerned and then had the uh, double down there at Oakland on Saturday with Whitmore and She Dares the Devil. So those numbers, I would imagine those are going to come up in time just based on averages and the way that things have gone in the past. Uh, as far as the win place show situation is concerned, so it is just that. $2 across the board. So each one of the horses that I put out as far as a win bet is concerned, they also get dovetailed into this $2 win place and show. So the strike rate here is 46%. Again, a little bit lower than what I'm accustomed to and what I anticipate things to sort of level out at. Uh, this number, I would imagine, will be closer to 55% when it's all said and done, somewhere in that ballpark. Um, sure, could it be higher? Could it be up into the low 60s? Uh, yeah, I mean, again, I don't think per percentages to me really don't mean a heck of a lot. It's more about what is the bottom line? What is the return on investment? In a situation like this, at this point from an ROI number, we're looking at $1.24 for every two, uh, which again is not ideal, but you're down about 38% at this point. It's early enough though. We had a couple of nice horses come through at decent prices that got a piece that, you know, if, if things kind of played out a little bit differently, I did like payday two a few days ago down at the fairgrounds. That horse got up for third, paid $5 uh, to show. Surge pricing, no excuse there. Finished a solid second. You get $640 back for the place in the show money. Uh, and then with a horse like Nightwatch, it's always nice when you get a winner at six to one who comes back and get you get the win money, obviously, but then the place and show cash to go along with it. That one comes back at $25.20 for the $6 that you would have invested. So for those of you that were maybe unsure or confused how this whole thing would go, I'm, hopefully this is a, a fair enough job explaining what I'm going to be doing going forward. All told, for the win place show pieces, $144 wagered. You would have returned thus far $89.70. So definitely some room to go, but again, Law of averages, I expect both of these to continue to improve throughout the uh, rest of the course of the year. So 
Let's move on to the Q&A segment for this week. Uh, picked out two of them because I'm going to touch on them briefly. I'm not going to go too, too deep into either of them. Uh, let's start with Gemini 3. And both of these ended up coming from YouTube. Thank you to those of you that watch. Those of you that listen, I, I try to keep in tune with the Twitter piece of it because I do know that I did get some. But then other things happen, whether it is me putting out the polls or whether it's, you know, the it, it just all of a sudden it gets lost in the shuffle between when the show is published, whether it's Monday night or Tuesday and the time that I'm coming back. So trying to sift through all that, it gets a little bit more difficult. If you want to, I don't want to say ensure that I get eyeballs on it. The YouTube video is probably the, the safest bet of them all. Uh, Gemini 3 thought about McKinsey and I brought up McKinsey last week because he ran in the Saudi cup and he ran quite poorly. Uh, the piece here from Gemini 3 thought on McKinsey. Another Baffert horse like Arrowgate, West Coast, etc., that flamed out after being asked to do too much? Just a thought. First, thank you for the question and comment. Um, I, I don't know that I look at McKinsey in the same vein as, as those two horses. Uh, I've gone on record a number of times saying Arrowgate's four-race stretch, the Travers, the Breeders' Cup Classic, the Pegasus World Cup, the Dubai World Cup, they're the four best races I've ever seen consecutively. Um, they're in another stratosphere from a numbers standpoint. I think he blew the engine in the Dubai World Cup. Did he love Del Mar? Probably not. But I can't sit here and say he couldn't run at Del Mar. He earned a 114 buyer in the Pacific Classic in 2017. He couldn't get to collected that day. And then we know the Breeders' Cup Classic didn't really work out for him. And I'm going to draw a line through that San Diego. He's a horse that maybe Del Mar wasn't his favorite. But I just don't think he was ever going to be able to get back. I think he redlined from that Dubai race. Because it, it, it's the most exceptional race I've ever seen. And I'm, I know this sounds crazy at, at my age, but I would venture a guess that's probably going to be the best race I ever see. I didn't see Secretariat. I, I've seen the video, obviously, a number of times. But I, Arrowgate's Dubai World Cup, considering Gunrunner was in that race, and he humbled him. I just, I don't think I'll ever see a better race than that singular race from a racehorse, given the stage, given the circumstances, the whole night. So I don't know that Arrowgate and McKinsey are, are necessarily on par because McKinsey, I think, has had a longer body of work, a greater sort of sample. I think he's been pretty consistent throughout. I mean, you take a look at his PPs. This is a solid horse who's been earning triple-digit buyers. If you go back to his run in the San Felipe as a three-year-old, here in the 101 buyer speed figure that day, with the exception of the Breeders' Cup Classic in 2018 at Churchill Downs, and the Saudi Cup, which obviously there wasn't going to be a buyer for that. All he's done is earn triple-digit buyers. I mean, he's a very consistent racehorse. And I don't know that I'm ready to just immediately write him off after one complete clunker. Now, if for, if we hear later on that something happened and he's not going to be able to go on, who knows, you know, we'll be able to kind of revisit this. But at this point right now, for him to be as just rock-solid consistent as he's been... I don't know that I'm ready to say he is, he's, you know, he blew the engine in any one of these races because while he's been rock solid, he hasn't done anything just otherworldly. His Whitney last year, I thought was really, really strong. You're in a 111 buyer that day, but I don't, he hasn't done anything that I've looked at and been like, you know, oh my goodness, what, what do we have here? He's just a really, really solid horse. So I don't know that I want to lump him in with Arrowgate. As far as West Coast is concerned, West Coast is a horse that, he may be a little bit more in line with if we see McKinsey come back and run a clunker in one of these other spots, then maybe I think the West Coast McKinsey sort of comparison could be a little bit tighter. 
granted, West Coast's overall body of work is actually kind of more on par with Arrowgate, where it was not a giant sample size, but he got really good. And you can argue that his two best races of his career were both in defeat behind Thunder Snow and behind Gunrunner in the Dubai World Cup, as well as the Pegasus World Cup in 2018. But following that World Cup in the two races when he came back, the run at Santa Anita and the Austin again, as well as the Breeders' Cup Classic at Churchill, those were disappointing performances. And from a number standpoint, he did regress pretty dramatically here, 97 and 95 buyers. So if, if we want to say, to me, maybe that is more the comparison. It's still way too early because I do believe in McKinsey. And I think if he comes back, you know, knock on wood, he's sound, he's healthy, he's happy. And he ends up getting into a pretty decent enough position wherever that race may be. I still maintain that he's a, a good racehorse and I'm not ready to give up on him yet. But, but if for some reason he does come back and let's say he lays another egg, then maybe we can start drawing those parallels between a horse like West Coast and a horse like McKinsey as far as the quick sort of fall off. With Arrowgate, I think it's a different story entirely. I, I just think the horse ran so hard in Dubai. I never thought he got back to what he was capable of. And even having said that, like I said, I feel like people just gloss over the fact that all he did in the Pacific Classic in 2017 was run second to Collected, who was unbelievable at the time, by a half length and earn a 114 buyer. It's not like he couldn't run at all anymore. So I think people just gloss over that fact as well. He may not have loved Del Mar, but he was, you know, I don't think he was quite what he once was, but he could still, he could still run pretty good. So thank you for the question there, Gemini 3. Last one here will be Lime6986. Uh, do you see any upside with Pletcher's Fountain of Youth second Candy Tycoon? Does the fact that he was so highly touted as an unraced Saratoga two-year-old affect how you feel about him now? Thank you. Happy you're back. Thank you, Lime6986, for the view and for the question. As far as the racehorse is concerned, for those of you that maybe have missed this one, uh, it's a three-year-old son of twirling candy out of an unbridled song mare named Liberty's Lyric. Um, look, has taken money basically in all of his lifetime. Starts with the exception of his turf try at Aqueduct in the fall last year and the 23 to one effort most recently finishing second in the Fountain of Youth. Let's let's answer the back half before the first half. Does the fact that he was a highly touted two-year-old up at the spa mean anything to me or does it, does it change my view of him? No, I, I this is kind of in the same vein as what I spoke about earlier with Gamine. I, until I see him out on the racetrack, I don't really care what the buzz is because we've seen so many buzz horses just completely flop when the real race happens. You can be, a, I mean, you hear it. They call them morning glories. You can get out there, look like a million dollars. You're just out there for a jog or a, a half mile breeze by yourself or with one workmate. But then in the afternoon, when there's a crowd around, you got a gate of nine other horses or 11 other horses, you know, if we're talking Saratoga, and you just don't deliver. That, that's when I'm going to look at it and say, okay, this is, all right, I, I don't care what the buzz is about you in the morning. At the end of the day, can you run in the afternoon or not? Because that's when I can bet on you. I don't get to bet on you in the morning. I get to bet on you in the afternoon. So that part, I don't, until I see them on the racetrack, I, you know, the buzz is fun and, and we can talk about it a little bit, but it, it doesn't really make a difference to me one way or the other. As far as the Fountain of Youth itself is concerned, I went back, watched the replay a couple times. I thought going into the first turn, a little bit tight, down there on the rail maybe needed to check back a little but i don't think it was anything substantial uh toward the rear about two three paths down the backside i did notice he was rather lathered up on his neck you could see where the reins were i mean if i had to guess it's south florida in, in february maybe it was a little bit hot and humid that day i don't really recall offhand but um 
I didn't think that was anything of major, major alarm. He was pushed along on the far turn, and I thought he was just kind of spinning his wheels a little bit. And then turning for home, he leveled off okay and finished with some interest. When I look at that race and I see this horse, his only victory to date has come in gates of wire fashion. I can't overstate that enough. I think that's very, very important to look at. If horses can't pass other horses, that's a bit of a problem. And when you look and see, yes, he did go by runners, but did he go by them by default? because they were all exhausted and he was just able to stay on. There's a difference to me between passing tired foes and going and passing horses while everyone is still going full throttle. Uh, He was no match for Ete Indian. Frankly, for that race, for the Fountain of Youth, to me, it's Ete Indian and everyone else. And the only other horse that I'm intrigued with out of the race is Country Grammar, as I spoke about, because I think he's just sort of, let's call him a little bit of a late bloomer. And I'd like to see them sort of, I think he could be a Travers type of horse. Uh, Candy Tycoon, I think he's okay. I'd like to see some sort of a nice progression in his next start, wherever that is. I'd be surprised if it was another prep race. Um, I mean, you never know. Maybe they're, I mean, Todd has so many horses and there are so many owners that want to try to get to the Kentucky Derby. Maybe they do try somewhere else with him, but I look at this horse and I think he's just, he seems a little bit slow. We're starting to see more and more of these horses in the mid to high 90 buyer range, some even up over a hundred. He's got a career best fig of 84 right now. He needs to improve pretty significantly to me to get out there and be considered a legitimate threat for any of these races going forward. Now, that's not to say that down the line he won't turn into a good one, but right now I just I, I I'm not really sold on his chances at this point about being one of the top three-year-olds as far as the Kentucky Derby is concerned or any of the other Triple Crown races. But the good news is it's only March 9th. You probably have one more opportunity for a derby prep if the connections are so inclined uh, and you can prove yourself there and try to take that step forward. But um, for me, Candy Tycoon, he could be an okay sort going forward. I'm just not sold from what I've seen thus far with him out on the racetrack. But thank you for the question, Lime6986. Anybody else, questions, comments, concerns beneath the video player on YouTube? That's probably your best bet, like I said, for me to get direct eyes on it because Twitter, there's so much crap that goes on in the in the feed and in the notifications that you can get lost in the shuffle a little bit and it's not not intentionally it just stuff kind of clutters it up so if you're looking to just make sure that i get some eyes on it uh the youtube show is probably the best way to do so so this is going to wrap up episode five for monday march the 9th again any thoughts beneath the video player on youtube or just fire away on twitter at bernie or underscore matt you've seen i try to interact with folks from time to time um there's still a few hours left in that poll but probably by the time the show is up uh that will thing will have buttoned up as far as the uh, the Derby and, and Oaks talk, but let me know your top five for your Derby. Let me know your top five for your Kentucky Oaks at this point. I know we're still a ways away, but it's a fun exercise. It's something to talk about. And and if I can help you think of some horses a little bit outside the box, maybe you can help me think about some horses a little bit outside the box, reconsider some runners. Maybe there's a horse that I've missed running somewhere. I don't know, Laurel or, or Sam Houston or anywhere. If you got something you think is interesting, fire away. Let me know. I will be back on Monday. We will go over the Rebel, which is coming up next Saturday out at Oaklawn, as well as I'm sure some other stuff that will come down the pipe as far as horse racing is concerned. So uh, until Monday, thank you again for listening. Best of luck, however you play, wherever you play, and whatever you play. This has been the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network.